0: This children's Church. Sorry, I'm discombobulated today. So uh, those kids can go ahead and head down uh, and as they do that, I do want to take a minute to say thank you. You might notice there are some <coughs> additional decorations in here this morning and you might also imagine that putting those decorations up is an immense amount of work. So thank you to all those who participated in that. The verses we are going to look at today give us an immense amount to work through. So with that in mind, we are going to jump straight into the text. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. That is on page 901 in your pew Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16. 2-16, through hear the word of the Lord. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels.
1: Nevertheless,
0: in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Amen grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. If you just heard me reading that passage and you're thinking to yourself, what is going on here? Okay, You, you are in good company. This is a question that Christians have been asking for a while, especially as culture has changed. This text is one of the most debated, if not the most debated sections of scripture in all of the Bible. It is not hard for us to see why. Even for people that are more traditional in their outlook on generals, this text seems antiquated and a little bizarre. The fact these verses are confusing to many has led to a variety of responses among scholars of the Bible. Some scholars have argued that Paul was not the person who wrote these verses. They were a later edition. There's not really any evidence that's the case. Other scholars argue these verses reflect Paul's antiquated, misogynistic thinking. Those who believe the verses were written by Paul but can't simply dismiss them as antiquated are forced to try to find a coherent logic in what is written that still applies today christians who take the bible seriously that would include most people sitting in this room today are in that third category whether we want to be or not we have to find some coherent logic In these verses, we believe all scripture is God-breathed. This includes all scripture. Even the verses we don't like or understand. Because these verses are so hard to understand, Christians have, for the most part, opted for a different strategy. Instead of engaging with them, most Christians have decided to ignore them. This is not just true of people in the pews, but also pastors in the pulpit. I actually had a conversation with my wife about this. For those of you that are here regularly, you're aware we've been moving through the book of First Corinthians. And I said to Anne, like, would anybody really notice if I, if I just skipped <laughs> these verses? I, I know the couple of you that would definitely notice. Uh, and it really was tempting to do so. There are Christians who don't ignore these verses, and they actually try to do what these verses describe. One or two of you may have been to a church at some point where head, where head coverings were mandated for women. Normally, these churches also require women to wear long dresses in sort of a Little House on the Prairie style. I don't know where that comes from, but it's part of the deal. For reasons I'm going to get into, I don't think churches that have women wear head coverings are correct in their thinking. But I do respect their attempt to consistently live out their beliefs. At least they don't just ignore these verses before trying to understand what these verses are saying we need to talk about what is happening every time we read any book especially the bible so the goal of reading is communication whether i read a website email or novel i am trying to understand what the author of those words is trying to communicate every word i read is a symbol for some idea the same word used differently can be used to communicate different ideas with vastly different implications if a police officer tells you to Put your hands up in the air, that has a totally different meaning than if one of our praise and worship leaders tells you to put your hands up in the air. Communication is one of the most complicated things we do as human beings. No animal can communicate the way humans do. Whales might sing some songs. You can can teach a gorilla some rudimentary sign language, but no animal has ever written an epic poem. One of the greatest challenges computer scientists deal with in the present is helping computers learn to interpret human communication. And I'm reminded just how difficult this challenge is. Every time I call one of those customer service numbers, I get the automated computer. What ends up happening for me is I end up just screaming at the computer. Let me talk to a living person. Let me talk. I literally just scream that again and again until somebody comes on. Whenever any of us is on the receiving end of communication from any source, we are not operating as a blank slate. We are bringing our own pre-existing interpretive scheme into the conversation. And for the most part, this is helpful. It is useful to know ahead of time that when a police officer says, put your hands up, it means something different than when the praise and worship leader says it. At times, our interpretive scheme causes us to misunderstand what is being communicated. And the more different the two parties communicating are, the more likely it is a misunderstanding of some sort will develop. People get into trouble when reading the Bible if an interpretive scheme is brought to bear by the present-day reader that is not in line with the original intent of the communication. This is not an insignificant phenomenon. Churches have divided due to incorrect readings of the Bible. Religions that deny Jesus is God have been founded, and wars have been fought. A lot of the debate among Christians that take the Bible seriously about how to understand what Paul is saying in these verses, it centers on what the appropriate interpretive scheme is. There are two primary options. The first option is the literal option. Those with this sort of approach would say, God said it I believe it that settles it These folks would argue that women should wear coverings on their heads men shouldn't have long hair and women shouldn't have short hair one of the reasons Paul says this is the case is, is because of the angels which is which is just confusing Now, there are advantages to this way of receiving what the Bible is saying. It is very straightforward. It doesn't leave much space for any debate. There are also some significant disadvantages. It's incredibly restrictive. While that may be true, the response from those that understand Scripture this way is So what? It's not up to you or I to determine what is reasonable for us. God makes the rules. We either keep them or we don't. I would prefer to push back on this way of reading Scripture by pointing out nobody who claims to take the Bible literally actually does so consistently. Or at least I've never met them. And I can tell you that there are none of them in this room. And I can prove that really briefly. My favorite way to point this out is by reading Matthew 5.29 to those who claim to take Scripture literally. Do you know what Matthew 5.29 says? Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, quick question, whose right eye has ever caused them to sin, right? But as I look around, I see two eyes looking back at me, which indicates something is amiss. That's some pretty strong language from Jesus. Nobody actually takes everything they read in the Bible literally because this is not a reasonable way to understand any form of communication. The second interpretive option for understanding what the Bible has to say seeks to contextualize the text. The person who reads Scripture in this fashion would say context is key. The argument people in this camp would make is that to rightly know what Scripture is communicating, you need to do a bit of work to try to understand the context of the original communication, to its original audience. When you know what the original intent of the communication was, you can then apply that intent to the present circumstance. As with a literal approach, there are advantages to a contextual approach. For one, a contextual approach doesn't lead to the conclusion Jesus is encouraging people to actually pluck out their own eyes. And that is a pretty big advantage. The person who reads Jesus' words contextually knows that rabbis at the time of Jesus would often use exaggerated language to make a point. When Jesus says pluck out your eyes that causes you to sin, what he actually means is you need to take sin really seriously reading the bible contextually is not all upside there are potential downsides arguments can be and have been made that due to contextual factors a clear command of the bible no longer applies in the present this has happened in our society in regards to bible verses that talk about premarital sex. Arguments have been made. The command to not have sex out of marriage is limited to a specific historical context as opposed to a universal expectation of God. Pushing back on contextualization that has led to faulty conclusions is harder than pointing out the flaws in a literal approach. Smart people can make incredibly compelling contextual arguments about what the Bible is saying. And there's not one simple strategy for doing away with it. While we should be concerned about how others misinterpret what the Bible says, we should first be concerned that we get what it is saying to us. As Christians, we believe that all people have an inherent tendency to sin. This tendency doesn't just affect our desires. It impacts our emotions and our minds. It interferes with all of our communication. We are used to this interference in our personal relationships. We often misunderstand what people we care about are saying to us. Our sin also impacts how we understand what God says to us through his Word. We must be aware of our sin as we interact with the Bible. One thing I try to do is I try to be suspicious of my own reading of scripture when a certain understanding would line up really well with what i want to be true the question i ask myself is whether i'm listening to scripture or if my own sin is causing me to misunderstand one of the best ways to avoid poorly contextualizing scripture is to not read the bible in isolation when i say isolation i primarily mean don't just read one verse or one group of verses god is consistent in what he says throughout the bible an easy solution to reading one verse wrongly is to not just read one verse Reading from throughout scripture makes it harder for our sin to confuse us. The secondary sense, which I mean the Bible shouldn't be read in isolation, is that we should read it in community. Other Christians help us to not get deceived by our own sin. We need other believers, not just fellow Christians, we worship at church with, but believers throughout history that have interacted with the same scriptures to increase our knowledge. So what about today's text? I pointed out earlier, it's one of the most challenging texts in all of the Bible. And it's a good practice for us to contextualize well. Various possibilities for how to understand this text have been put forth in recent years that contextualize what those who received Paul's letter originally would have understood him to be saying. So let's look at some of the more compelling options. One of the first explanations I ever heard of what Paul is saying here centered on head coverings being comparable to wedding rings for women at the time. Some of you may have heard this, that women at the time the Corinthians was written, they would wear head coverings when they were married. That was the sign to the broader population, sort of like a wedding ring, that they were married. The thinking that goes, the thinking goes that in these verses, Paul is responding to married women in the church who believe their new status as Christians means they no longer operate within a marriage relationship. When they worship, they remove the symbol, in this case a head covering, that indicates their married status. A similar possibility is put forward by Ben Witherington, a New Testament scholar. He believes that Paul's concern is maintaining the uniqueness of men and women in the Corinthian church. Paul's statements are a response to a movement within the church that seeks to obscure the differences between males and females. Paul wants to be clear that men and women are unique and interdependent, and he is using a variety of arguments that would have resonated at the time, as well as the creation order God established to make this point. Another possible explanation that I came upon recently It's a bit harder to explain. So when the Bible was originally written, when the New Testament was originally written, it was written in Greek. Okay? Greek at the time had no punctuation. There were no commas, exclamation points, periods, nothing. All of those were added later to help us be able to read it better by scholars and really smart people. So the argument goes that in this case, what Paul is doing is he's actually quoting material that the Corinthians had written in a letter to him, but that we don't realize that he is quoting because there were no quotation marks at the time. This this is a very involved kind of academic argument. I mention it here not to say that it is correct. I mention it here just, just to point out both these different possibilities and the fact that these possibilities can be very dangerous, okay? Because that sort of thinking can then lead us to disregard portions of Scripture. There is evidence for each of these arguments, but which option is correct? Well, nobody can say with complete certainty we have to live with a lack of clarity. For many Christians, especially women, The lack of certainty about this text is especially disturbing. Options are great. Clear answers would be better. Many women would read these verses as communicating that women are inferior to men and should only be in subservient positions to them. That is why we don't read scripture in isolation. That is also why we should question our motives when we or others interpret the Bible. Anybody that wants to argue that Paul or the Bible in general wants to repress women has to deal with Paul's actions that are recorded in scripture. Paul recognized the leadership of women multiple times in his letters and chapters. The first European convert to Christianity reported in the Bible was a businesswoman named Lydia. The house church in Philippi met in her home. Paul repeatedly puts women in positions of leadership. One of the most incredible examples of this is Paul had women act as messengers to carry his letter. That may not sound like a big deal to us, it was a really big deal at the time. These women were not just responsible for physically carrying a letter, but when they got to the destination, they would have been probably been the ones to read it for the first time, out loud, in public. We know that Phoebe, one of Paul's partners in ministry, carried his letter to the Romans to its destination. So in all probability, The first time anyone ever heard the book of Romans read, it was from a woman's lips. While this text leaves us with a lot of questions, that doesn't mean it lacks clear conclusions. We get so caught up in the argument Paul is making to the Corinthians, we ignore what he says Clearly, we miss the forest for the trees. If asked what this text is about, most Christians would say it is about women wearing head coverings. That's not Paul's primary focus. Paul's argument may seem convoluted to us. The conclusions he arrives at are not. They're actually stated pretty clearly. None of what Paul makes clear is all that debatable. Here are some conclusions from today's text that are obvious. One, every person exists under God's authority. This is true for women. It is true for men as well. Two, we should glorify God in how we worship. The purpose of worship is not self-validation. God is the focus, not us. 3. Men and women are unique, but also interdependent. Both women and men need each other. If any part of your thinking is that women are more important than men, or vice versa, you need to repent. Even if, in certain circumstances, the roles may vary, that doesn't mean one gender is more important than the other. Four, the practical implications of the previous three points is don't be contentious. It is ironic that so much contentiousness has come out of these verses when Paul's original purpose was to limit the contentiousness of the Corinthians. Christians are not supposed to be argumentative. The more we are focused on glorifying our Lord and Savior, the less we will be. When we read the Bible, there's sometimes a tendency to focus on that which is debatable or confusing. While it is good to seek deeper knowledge, Scripture makes it clear we shouldn't seek that knowledge in a contentious way. Sometimes I think there are Christians that like to focus on what is debatable because it is a distraction from doing the hard things that the Bible clearly commands of us. In today's verses, Paul is speaking into a specific church that was riven. By divisions. His priority is eradicating that individual selfishness which leads to those divisions. The way he goes about arguing lends itself to debate in the present. We need to make sure that in seeking to understand the truth of this text, we are not going against what the text clearly commands. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I know for some in this room, uh, today's, today's sermon was a more difficult sermon. It was more intellectual, um, is more just focused on things that we can often ignore in our daily lives, Lord. But we recognize that our belief, our faith, and our practice is built upon your word, the Bible, Lord. We, we thank you for giving us your word. We pray that you would give us the wisdom to understand what you are asking of us correctly. That we might know your commands and we might know the mercy and grace communicated through your word and through Jesus Christ, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for the opportunity to be a part of your kingdom, for making yourself known to us, Lord. And we ask that you would be with us as we continue to try to understand better what we are called to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.